Good evening, everyone, or good morning, depending where you are listening to this. This is the first time I've actually done one of these overseas. You're my first overseas. So I uh, welcome Glenn and anyone who doesn't know Glenn. Um, he's someone slightly different today. He's not the direct co-author that everyone else has been doing. He is a slightly different involvement in the book. So I'm going to leave that to you to explain. So go for it. Take it away. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so you first guest international. I love that. I'm honoured. Thank you, Esther. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First um, wow. Um, no, 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 I have had America. Sorry, I have had America. Sorry. Oh, well, you shouldn't have said that. You make me feel less special now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. I mean, my involvement with the book came, um, it was through a networking thing on Clubhouse and a mutual friend who introduced me and Kazia. Um, she told Kazia all about the IPC. Kazia got in touch with me, saw all the stuff that we'd been doing, said she absolutely loved it. The message resonated with her. I found out more about what she was doing, the mission that was laid out on her heart. And at the end of the day, it is storytelling. In whatever form we look at it, it's about how someone's story can inspire and empower everybody else. And I suppose when it came up, we started doing a lot of projects together. Absolutely amazing. And then the book came up. And we thought, well, let's collaborate on it. Let's bring more people together, as in men and women. So I was in charge of obviously promoting it, getting some celebrity co-authors on, and then obviously getting to know you ladies, because he was doing the initial, what she does with the 12 week, which is a process. Um, and then now we've, what, one day in Australia. So I'm launching pretty much tomorrow. You guys have still got two days. So I'm a day ahead. Too scary, too scary. Can't think about that right now. <laughs> So um, what I find really interesting is that I know a lot of people, a lot of men said to Kezia, um, I want to be in there, but when are you going to do a male version? When are you going to do a male version? Then she opens it up to men and all the men have gone, nope, nope. <laughs> I know she's had quite a few people what sort of had their initial conversation. And when they're like, just, no, I don't want to share that. I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for the... So I guess I was going to ask you, do you think it leans more to women or do you still think it's neutral across the board, even though we've got a lot more female authors than men? I mean, it's funny because that was what Kazia's mission was. It was about empowering women. So when we came into IPC, it was funny because we were both, we had a lot of men that were stepping forward. Now, the imperfectly perfect for anyone that doesn't know is a movement about challenging the narrative of mental health. It went global within 12 months. It's got all of these celebrities, public figures, whatever you want to call them, but predominantly a lot of men. So a lot of these people in influential situations, whether they're sports players, actors, corporate leaders, all sharing their stories. So the natural progression, me and Kazia thought was, let's open it up to a range of men. We was getting traction, but the way that I suppose you look at it is, if you're ready, you're ready. If you're not, you're not. And if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So we can't take away that some people might still be working on things and you ladies that did step forward. It's incredible. Yeah, well, like you guys, I know that you were going to do an other book, but you weren't quite ready. And then, yeah. So it's natural progression, I think. 
And I think it takes sometimes like you guys to be leaders and then people go, oh, it's okay to share my story. I think sometimes we need that little bit of seeing somebody to do it. If they can do it, I can do it. And it's like when, when we are struggling mentally, sometimes we suffer in silence until we recognize somebody or we hear somebody go, no, it's actually okay to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I'm the first one to not talk when I'm really bad. I mean, if I'm really bad, I just close down. People, and the amount of people have said, reach out to me, I don't. I don't. And it might not be because I, I might want the help, but I still won't reach out. So mm. I'm the first one to be like, um, I'm just the first one to not be the one to be looking out and uh, asking for the help, but I'll give it to others or offer it to others. But it's one of those very very common things I'm finding more and more is that those who look after others the most are the ones who sort of don't get looked after. Would you agree with that? They're kind of like the ones where everyone always thinks are fine. They're the strong ones. They're the ones who are coping. They're the ones that are. Yeah, it's to the point where I know it's a big thing with what I've done and how big it's got. And like you can see if you are watching this on YouTube or anything, I started with imagery of people that recognized. Now, a lot of people, when they're sharing their stories sometimes, and they may not have got through what they was going through, I suppose musicians, they share their stories by lyrics and they're hurting. And it was only one person on the campaign when it first started, a guy called Michael Falzen, who's now sadly passed away, became a really good friend. And he used to check in with me every week. Glenn, how are you? And I was like, I'm fine. Why? And he was like, because you're taking everyone's energy on. You're trying to help other people, but you need the support as well. Like, have you got it? And he said, I'm looking at your pictures and they're full of pain and hurt of what other people have gone through. But what people in entertainment tend to do or creatives is mask things and show it through their work. So I'm looking at these images thinking, okay, Glenn, you're taking some really dark images to highlight something, but are you okay? And I really respected that. And it's, I was fine. But it made me appreciate somebody who may be singing a song or maybe doing something and just hiding and masking it because they are the one that's always looking after other people, like you said. And I think until you accept help, and like we've had so many conversations offline, back and forwards with voice notes and everything. And I'm like, I'm here if you need me and stuff. And like you say, I'll agree. You are the first to say, no, I'm fine. I don't need to. And I think sometimes it's that, I don't know about yourself and I can't speak for you, but what I used to do when I was struggling was I'd close down as well because I'd be thinking, I don't need anyone's opinion. I don't need like someone telling me what. And I think what I've learned out of anything is offering that help to sit and listen because sometimes people just want to offload and it's not there to judge. I've worked with a lot of clinical psychologists through my campaign and I always question everything. I ask them and I'm like, so why do people do this? Why do people close down? And I used to go to a lot of mental health talks and see how people were doing things. And I noticed that there'd be some and they go to like, when I worked in construction, as you guys know, and there'd be people coming in to talk about mental health, but yet there'd be a footballer. And I'd watch all the men's faces and I'd be working with them and ask it after I'd ask him, I say, how did you find it? It was like, look, I felt sorry to hear his story, but is a footballer earning this amount of money. We're working six, seven days a week, 12 hours. We don't see our family. We, we, we get to a place where we don't feel good enough to do another job. And then you've got a footballer earning six, seven figures coming in and saying, I went through depression. 
So that's where I kind of looked at things at a different perspective and said, it needs to be career appropriate as well. Like if somebody who did that job was sharing what they went through, they could resonate. And I think that's why I've done so many people across every different industry. So it's not like, oh, look, that person won't understand me. That person won't understand me, but that person will. And if they're just willing to listen instead of fire all cylinders, because people who want to help people tend to like want to give the answer. They want to like try and fix people. Particularly men. Yes. Men want to fix the problem. It, yeah. it is very true. It is true. I mean, I have this conversation with my husband all the time. Like he he can't handle it if I tell him something and I don't want it fixed. <laughs> Not at all. Just absolutely yeah. doesn't know what to do with that. And I'm like, yeah. you know, just, and he's like, but, you know, and I'm like, I don't, no, no, just, and um, yeah. So but I will I, say, I, I will say, Esther, I bet it's this thing with you, with you and your husband, because it's the same as everyone. Your husband can tell you something or you can tell your husband something. Neither of you will listen, but somebody else will say the exact same thing and you'll go, oh, well, so-and-so told me this. And it was like, that's what I said, but you don't listen to me. You're thinking now. That is true to a certain extent. But particularly in uh, my business, because technically Tim's meant to do my business with me. It's meant to be our business. He never does anything. <laughs> never talks to anyone but then occasionally he'll come and say to me did you know and I'm like yeah 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 and I just have to go yeah like, of course Tim that's great that's fantastic and I'm like what do you think that yes. is yeah <laughs> sounds familiar me and my wife all the time same thing she's like I can tell you that and you don't listen to me but <laughs> yeah, yeah it does happen like that but um, I, do, I do think um, women are just a bit more comfortable with the emotional side. Like, I'm not going to say who, but um, on a call the other day, one of the girl, um, girls in the book was really upset. And it was all females just sitting there listening to her, not offering advice, not offering to fix it. Not, I mean, we did offer a few words of encouragement here and there, but generally we were just listening. Yeah, and and uh, Kazia mentioned it. She actually put. She said, "I love this. It's a group of women who've come together, and it's just a safe space. It's a safe space for whoever to want to share whatever. But this yeah. particular time, it was a particular one person. Yeah, sharing it, and and um, it's powerful. It really is. Like." Next time we do a virtual event for the IPC, like because of the pandemic, some things we had to slow down on, but we'll send you the invite link and we, we get between 20, 25, we've had 15 some, and literally Somalia was in the last one, one of the co-authors for the book. And she said, what do you love about doing these? I said, honestly, sitting back and just seeing the power of connection. So there was a lady on there and she suffered with a stammer. It was something from her upbringing that she really suffered with it. And I knew that she sang. Now, halfway through, everyone's connecting and it was beautiful. Everyone's talking. We was leading it, facilitating it. And I just said to this lady, I was like, would you grace us with a song? And she was like, oh, it's something that I'd like my stammer and I get. And I said, you don't have to. She says, no, I want to though. 
because she felt safe. She said, you know, it was men and women and just all sharing the stories. And she started singing, my God, Pitch Perfect. It was just like shivers, everyone. And there wasn't a dry eye in that room with about 30 odd people just crying, watching, because they felt every word that she said through her story. It's just powerful. Yeah, really powerful. And actually quite common with stammers, stammers that um, they can sing or they can um, speak rhyme or rhythm or um, they can, they um, when they've got music going on in their head, so like you can literally play a record so that they're, yeah. they're bombarding and get them to speak. And when they can't hear their own voice, they don't stammer. Yeah, yeah. So, they, they just speak perfectly. And in fact, when I very first met my husband, the very first night, we met in a social event, a social occasion in a pub. And he used to have a slight stammer because he had a stroke before I knew him. And his S's used to be like, like mm. a, almost like a snake after each one. And I teased him about it slightly and I was teasing him someone took me aside and said I think it's disgusting that you're teasing someone with a disability you should be ashamed of yourself and I said well hang on a minute one I didn't know he had a disability and two why should I treat him any differently because he's got a disability why should I not tease him because he has a disability any more than I would have teased Joe Bloggs why should it be a difference? And that night, years and years and years later, when I said to him, you know, when did you first start to fall in love with me? He said, it used to be because you teased me and saw me, not my disability, where everyone else just saw my disability. And, mm. I, and he never knew that I got taken aside and sort of berated for it and everyone when I think back about that I mean everyone admired him everyone thought he's a great guy all this but they treated him like someone with a disability mm. instead of just Tim instead yeah. of just who he is uh, you know with all his goodness and bad well, not goodness and bad one word but strengths and weaknesses and and his sense of humor I mean the amount of people would say to me Oh, it's really funny. I didn't know. I'm like, yeah, he's got amazing sense of humour, but because he's usually quite quiet and in the back, back and like people won't realise for a yeah. really long time because it takes Tim a lot to come forward. But actually, he's got very dark, wicked sense of humour, mm. and, and um, you know, but it, it takes a lot for people to pick up and see that, you know, to notice that. Yeah, it's true. I, I think people need to, it's the same with professions and titles. I just don't, I started in the fitness industry and I used to teach group fitness classes and people would come in, in the fitness gear. And we know when people come to exercise, they either go for, to get healthy, for community, because they're lonely, for other reasons. And you don't see a suit. You don't see a title above the head. And I think we've come to a place in society like LinkedIn and all these things. I'm a this, I'm a that. And people associate that person with that title. And it's like, look at someone's heart. Like you said, Tim, look past the superficial of what you're looking at a disability or looking at a title and go, 
actually no, Tim, wicked sense of humor, this, that, and the other. And it just makes such a difference. And I think that's like you guys sharing your story in this book. It's people may judge you, people may criticize you on an external, but yet wait till they read your story and then they'll start clapping the loudest for you. And that, when people get nervous about this book coming out, I always say for any one person that judges or criticizes us, think of all those people that need to hear your words because it'll save a life. Did you hear what Mona Claire said? Oh, no, it hasn't gone out yet. You wouldn't talk. But Mona Claire did it. Me and Claire did the interview this morning. And we were talking about being nervous coming up to the 30th and how we were both feeling. And um, she said she thought she felt fine until she went out to lunch with some friends. And um, suddenly she realized they were all going to know everything. They were all talking about how excited they were reading the book. And suddenly she cut, they were going to know everything and, and so much detail. And, um, and, um, and, and she was like, yeah, and she started, you know, started guessing and started going to, you know, then she goes, but that's why, you know, I keep on trying to remind myself of that one person we're out. I got to the stage that um, I'm past that one person that I'm going to help. I'm like, I don't care about that person anymore. I changed my mind. Honestly, don't want to do it. Forget that person. Who cares about them? Um, is, yeah. You know that even, even as a guy, though, when I stepped forward and I was doing this, there was a podcast that I went on. And I'd shared that I'd struggled in the past, but this girl said, you are relentless. Like, we know that you lost a friend and this is why you started it. But the passion, the relentless, like, you don't stop. And she said, where does it come from? And I was like, because I struggled. So we went into my story with body dysmorphia and how deep it went and how dark it went. And it was the first time I actually spoke. And then she came back a couple of days and she said, that episode was one of the most downloaded episodes. And I had so many guys reach out and go, oh my God, what he said, I have that. I just didn't know. The same patterns he had, I had that. And friends, again, like Claire was saying, like it takes a trigger point of thinking, holy crap, my friends are going to know everything. So I'm, I'm actually exposing myself even more to them. And when I did that to my friends, it actually opened up more conversations for them to go, you know what, actually, because they were all in fitness. It was like, I think I was going through the same thing or I'd be. And my wife's best friend came to our, our wedding um, and he disappeared for like 10 years. We couldn't find him a few months later. It was like, where's he gone? Like we were all a close group and none of us could find him. Um, 10 years later, we obviously managed to track him down. He was back in Sydney and he came for dinner because he was literally my wife's best friend. Um, and he came for dinner and we sat down and was like, where did you go? Now, he was brought up Catholic and his brothers and sisters were fine and accepting him because he was gay. His parents weren't because they were Catholic. And he was going through that. And there was one time and he, he's been on my podcast sharing it. He went home and he put a noose around his neck and he was going to hang himself. And then he dropped to the floor and took it off and cried. And his mum found him and said, I can't even take my life. And she said to him, it's because you're gay. Now that is just, that's your son. So he moved away from it, let it all go. He's very happy now. But I didn't know this. And he just disappeared for 10 years. And then he turned around to me and said, 
And also, you know, I was doing some modeling and good looking guy. I was like, yeah, you were doing well. He said, I couldn't stand looking at myself. I had to disappear. I had to hide the mirror. I, and I was like, you had body dysmorphia. And he said, yes, really big. I was like, if me and you had have spoken, we could have got through this together. Had we have known? But he disappeared. So it opened this whole conversation. And although it was my wife's best friend and a friend of mine, our relationship got deeper because there was a, something that connected us and gone, oh, my God, I experienced that as well. Would never have known. So as much as there might be trepidation about friends knowing, I think the people that matter, I think it'll draw people closer. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's always going to be trepidation the closer it gets, isn't it? And it's really uh -huh. interesting with how many people they started recording. Because, like, I started recording the podcast a little while ago, although I've just been releasing them. I haven't necessarily recorded them all just now. And um, I, at first, everyone was going, yeah, I'm fine. I feel fine. And then, <laughs> the closer we get. <laughs> not so much people but and Claire also was saying just how much you don't know about people and you, you presume so much about people and just yeah. hearing people's real story hearing and how much something Romy said um these are all co-authors guys by the way all different people <laughs> in the um Something she said was when we I was asking her, did you struggle to find your story? And she said, No, I had too many. I had mm. so <laughs> many physical moments. I had so many stories I could have told. I didn't know where to start. And also, when if when I did it, because I've known her because he has since project and um, book one. And mm. if I'd been in book one, it would have been a very different story. To if I've yeah. been in book two, to if I've been yeah in each book that like she said you know depending where I was in my life, it would have changed completely the story she told. Very true, very true. And if it's you powerful. think about maybe if I've been in book three, what I've written about would have even happened. And maybe the time was now. This is the thing. If we look at things in hindsight, the thing is now, and that. Like you say, when you don't know people's story, when people say that, we listen to so many things on an external about what people, they make judgment on other people. And we listen to friends and we listen to what they say about other people. But yet, unless you know the full facts and the story and actually get time to listen to someone's story, you'll listen secondhand. So you're actually taking on something, someone's energy that's saying something about somebody else. You might actually really like that person and you don't know their story. And I think this is this is the way I look at things now. Like if I see things, and I always talk about this people comparing, competing, and judging. And we all get judged sometimes, it's human condition. But when it's secondhand, if someone tells me something about somebody else, I won't take that energy on until I've got to meet the person and understand where they're coming from. Because I think along the journey, when I the stuff that I believe in now, it's like if you're doing right by people, you'll keep moving in the right direction. And people hurt people when they're hurt. We all know this. And I think the more like this book is bringing people together to inspire and you get to hear people's stories. My hope is that it will stop judgment on people. It will stop people comparing their lives when they see someone's highlight reel and go, oh, they're so lucky. Look what they get to do. But yet we don't know what they had to go through to get there. So I know several co-authors and 
might happen yourself. Like a couple have said, like Claire Gibbons, some of her friends have seen all the stuff she's doing and she's getting articles and she's doing podcasts and she came on yours and she's sharing it. And then her friends are going, oh, but you're so lucky. You're so lucky. Well, no, she's not. She actually decided to step up and put herself forward and share a vulnerability and look what's come from it. Like it's people always make preconceptions. And I think just get to talk to the person and learn their story before taking on anyone else's opinion of other people or judgment yourself. But there's always going to be the people who believe that the more success you have, the more luck you have, isn't there? There's always they're going to be the type of person. Well, it's like, I mean, my business is so much about talking to people about starting a new opportunity, starting a new business. And the amount of people I talk to who go, oh, I hate my job, hate my job, can't bear it. And I'm like, well, why don't you change it? And they're like, oh, there's nothing out there, nothing out there. And I'm like, well, what if I offered you something right here, right now? Would you look? And they're like, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. And I just like, then start complaining. Either do something or be quiet. It I is very true. Not put it quite like that, but I could put it a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's, the truth is, isn't it? You, I, I get if what I'm offering is not right for you, absolutely. But the girl finds something what is. There's yeah. so many different opportunities out there. There's so many different things. And it's the difference between someone who actually gets up and makes something happen and someone yeah. who sits and festers and waits and is a victim instead of taking control of their life and taking say on what's going on and that's that's what we've all done really isn't it is take control of a situation that's happened yeah, to you, us. You, you guys so i just i just think yeah sorry I, yeah you guys have done amazing stepping forward i think when it comes to some of those people and they don't want to change it though i think even on my journey that i've learned is they've probably got so many trigger points because we are indoctrinated at school into a system and we are made to believe that success is this thing and fame and how pretty you should be and look like the, the, like so many people are just scared. And I, I understand don't, it. I don't disagree with that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I know everyone's got a lot of trigger points. Everyone's got a lot of stories. And I get that. If you're doing the tiniest, tiniest thing to change your life, whether it yeah. is, Get up, make your bed. It doesn't have to be like life changing. I'm not talking about life changing, yeah. but just just the tiniest, tiniest step in the right direction. The people who just sit and complain, however many trigger points that they got, however many situations they got, I find yeah. it very hard to remain empathetic and sympathetic because mm. I feel like they're just kind of so trapped in their own. And yeah, in that in that sense, you maybe you should feel for them, and maybe you should because of those things. But yeah, I find that quite hard. But that's what you're doing, Esther, with your story. So one of those people might come across your story, and it might trigger something in the opposite direction, and go, "If she can do it, I can do it too." So <laughs> know that as well. It's amazing that what you're doing. Maybe, maybe, or maybe I'm just really impatient. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. Um, is there anything else you want to say? I just want to say 
on behalf of me, and I can probably speak on behalf of Kezia, thank you for stepping forward and sharing your story because you don't know how far it'll thank go. I mean, so much for all your help and support behind the scenes. I mean, I don't think people realize how much effort you've both put in, and we certainly all do, and we really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, you might be getting fed up with my individual messages all the time going, here's the links, here's the links, here's this, here's this, here's this. <laughs> I, I have threatened to throw out my computer or phone more in the last four days than ever before. No, not quite than ever before. But yeah, my yeah. husband does constantly laugh at me because I'll be like, I'm going to throw it out the window now. I am. And I go run outside and jump on it, jump up and down on it, smash it to smithereens. It's so annoying. And he, he just starts going, yes, dear. Of course, dear. Well, I think, I, I think after the 30th, <laughs> because obviously we're launching on the 30th, which for me is tomorrow. You guys are still, you're probably on 11 p.m. by now. But yeah, it's tomorrow for me. We're running into that launch on the 30th. And I think a couple of co-authors, like the amount we've been sharing and promoting and pushing, it's like, okay, after the 30th, I'm up on holiday. No social media. <laughs> you can see I'm a whole month off. That's it, a whole of December. She's promised her kids no work, no anything. Did you know, literally, the whole of the month, she's like, I need to recover. Wow. I'm taking the whole month. Wow, that would be nice. That would be nice. <laughs> Okay. Um, well, guys, where do we go? What do the, What are we asking people to do for the last time? You'll probably see. We this. are asking people to have, and I always say this, keep having the hard conversations because it's the hard conversations that save lives. Go and check out and give Esther some love with a podcast because she's not only stepped up in the book, she's stepped up as a podcast host and it takes a lot to put themselves out there. And she's screwing her face up for anybody who's listening. Because she needs to have more belief in herself because she is an amazing lady. She's sharing her story. So go and find out everything you can about her. And remember, 30th of November, go to Amazon, click the links, and buy a copy. Get inspired. The links are everywhere, guys. They're all over our website. They're all over Glenn's. They're all over every co-author. They're just all over the place. You're going to be able to find the links, but I will be putting them towards the podcast and various different things. Um, okay. Thank you. Thank you, honey. Thanks for being you my nearly first. You could be my first. I'll tell them you're my first. You're the first. <laughs> you need to edit it now. You need to edit it. You just give me a nice compliment and you say, oh, no, actually, you're second. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right, darling. Um, All right, have a good night. See you soon. Bye. Bye, mate.